Welcome to The Readerly Report, a podcast of Readerly Magazine. Your hosts are Gail Weisswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. And June is audiobook month, so tonight we're going to be giving our favorite audiobook recommendations, and we're talking to one of our favorite audiobook narrators, Karen White. Karen White is a very well-known audiobook narrator. She has narrated books crossing a whole bunch of genres, romance, literary fiction, nonfiction, and we are very excited to have her here on the show to talk about the process of audiobook narration. Hi, Karen. How are you? Oh, good, and you? I'm very well. So one of the things that it says in your bio, I didn't realize that you've been recording audiobooks until since 1999. How did you get into that? Um, well, I was an actor for a long time, uh, first in Boston, and then I moved to Los Angeles with my husband. And one of my graduate school friends met a woman who was doing uh, audiobooks in Seattle. Her name's Kate Fleming. And she was, she's known as Anna Fields. And my friend said, I was talking to her and it just sounded like something you would be really good at. So she hooked me up with Kate, who was very gracious and spent some time on the phone with me answering my questions. And I basically investigated what was available in Los Angeles at the time. And all, there was only really one major, uh, company in, in Los Angeles, but they were only using celebrities and only doing abridged books. So the one person I could get on the phone said, yeah, we don't really use, you know, regular actors, but we're looking for editors. Could you edit on Pro Tools? And I said, sure. So (laughs) I learned how to edit on Pro Tools really quickly. And I did that for about nine months. And um, then when he's Dan Musselman was hired by Books on Tape to open a studio in Los Angeles to use regular actors... He hired me as his one employee, um, and for about a year, I I worked there um, in the Valley. We I helped bring in actors. I helped doing casting. I continued to edit. I started directing audiobooks, and I started narrating. And then when I had my first child... I decided I didn't want to work full-time away from home, so I really cut back, and I only did a few books a year um, until my kids got older. And um, then at about that time, home studios were becoming a thing. So I continued to work at what had been Books on Tape and then then was Random House and now is Penguin Random House. Um, But I also started working for other companies that would hire me to work from home, Um, like Tantor, Audio, and Blackstone. And um, I've just sort of been gradually been able to add work since then. So how many books do you think you record a year? Probably. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm just doing like two short stories in a collection and um, or just the introduction for a book or just a little section. Sometimes I'm doing a third of a book or a half of a book. Sometimes the books are short, some are long, but on average, I'd say like 35 or 40. Like one a week. 
So like, a, a let's say you're doing a novel. Yeah. So if it, let's say you're doing a novel that's, you know, 310 pages long. Is that about a week's worth of work? About, yeah. Um, just the recording, though, because I also have to prepare the book, which means reading it through all the way once, and I highlight with on the on my uh, tablet as I go, and then I go through again, and I type up notes, and I unhighlight the things that I type up because I don't like to have too much highlighting when I'm reading, and. Mm-hmm. Then I do whatever research I have to do, and then I start recording. So if I'm really busy, I have to do that preparation work at night and record during the day. Um, when I'm not so busy, I can stretch it out a little bit more. So so when you're taking notes, I'm just so fascinated by this. When you're taking notes as you're reading it the first time, what are you, what are you noting? Are you sort of making impressions of characters? Are you starting to plan out what type of voice you're going to do for each one? Um, well, this, this really goes back to my acting training. Um, I, tr- I kind of uh, combined two things. I had a, had a uh, playwright teacher once who said, whenever you pick up a script, as much as you can, just read it through the first time. So you really get the feel of the flow of the arc of the, you know, the, the whole book. And that's, I don't have time to do that and read through and take notes. So that's why the highlighting really helps because I don't have to stop and, you know, type up or write down notes. I just highlight it, but I'm continuing to read and, and really get the, the overall arc. So the things that I'm highlighting are also go back to my actor training if I was preparing a script where I was playing one character, I would read the script and I would take notes on every single thing that is said about my character, whether it's a physical description, um, adjectives used by other people, um, where the person is from, how old they are, what, you know, all, every single specific detail I could. And then you put that all together. And that's sort of the basis of the character that you're creating when you go into rehearsal. Well, in audiobooks, obviously, I'm playing all the characters, and we have no (laughs) rehearsal. (laughs) So um, that whole process gets kind of squished. So what I do is I try to highlight all those details about every character. And then when I go back through and I type up my notes, I, I type up a whole sheet and each character has a sort of series of, of descriptive words or little phrases. Then after I've done all that, I go back and I, and I sort of bold things that are very specific about the voice, you know, that are about an accent or that they have a deep voice or a high voice. But I also look at things like um, imagery that is used and especially things like words that describe how they move, because that really informs me um, in terms of the rhythm of the person and, um, you know, whether they speak in a staccato way or very smoothly, you know, things like that can help me sort of narrow down the choice. And if it's an accent, I'll work on it. But after that, what I kind of do is just go with my instinct in the moment when I get to the scene where that person first appears 
And oftentimes that's just what I go with. Sometimes I'll play it a couple times and then, and then choose something. And then I make a little sample of that, an audio sample that, I mean, I just save a chunk and put it basically on the desktop and then I have it. So if that person doesn't come back for a couple scenes or if it's a series and they come back in another series, then I have it as a reference. Got it. Okay. So I just want to backtrack a little bit because I think you bring up so many interesting points in terms of the notes that you're making and how you're presenting characters. And I know that Gail and I choose, um, we choose audiobooks differently. So I kind of want to get into that and kind of speak into how people can go about choosing audiobooks, I guess, that are to their listening style. So yes, um, what you look for in an audiobook and how you choose your audiobooks. Oh, I think how I choose audiobooks is much less sort of deliberate than, than you're getting at. I actually choose audiobooks oftentimes based on what's available on audio. So you know, I get, um, I'm very fortunate that I'm on a bunch of mailing lists from audio publishers. So I get access to review copies and, or I use overdrive, which is an app that lets me borrow audiobooks from the library. So what happens to me is usually there's a book I want to read because as Nicole and I call it, I've been giving it the eye <laughs> and I want to read it. And then it comes up on an email, you know, from whoever, from, Penguin Random House or Tantor or somebody, it comes up and I jump on it and I either download it from them or they send it to me on CD or I'm able to get it. Um, oftentimes I'm on like a bunch of wait lists for different audio coming from the library. So for me, a lot of it is just based on timing and availability. And I think, okay, well, you know, I, I want to read this book and here it is in audio. And as you know, Nicole, a major prerequisite for me now is that I have, you to, have to have the have print. print. <laughs> I have to have the print. So I like to have the print for a, a lot of reasons. One, I, I like to be able to flip back and forth. So sometimes I'm in the car and I'm listening and I want to reread a passage or it's a passage from, you know, it's it's an hour or two earlier. Or if it gets super intense and suspenseful. Yeah. So as if it gets super intense and suspenseful and then like I can't get it because it's in the car, that's when it's on CD. That's the, the when it's on CD, it's the least flexible because I can really only listen in the car because, you know, it's 2017. I don't have CD players all over the place. But so I was just in a situation last week where there was a book I was reading and it was getting super intense. And the only person I know who had read it was Nicole. So I'm like, bombarding her with texts about what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And it was very frustrating because if I had had the print, I could have at least, you know, read ahead a little bit. So I do like to have the print with me. So that's another thing. And then the final way that I pick audiobooks, frankly, is by narrator. So, you know, I've known... Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there, I mean, there must be particular things that you're looking for in narration or that you don't, that you avoid. Well, I mean, I think... Um, I, I mean, I think there's some narrators I've gotten to know, Karen, of course, being one of them. And Karen knows my taste in books. And she recently pointed me to a book that um, I would have read anyway, but it was great to know that she had done the audio and she sort of facilitated me getting the review copy. So that was great. And um, which one was that? That was our short history by Lauren Grodstein, which Karen okay. wonderfully narrated. So um, I definitely gravitate towards books where I know the narrator, although a lot of my favorite narrators do a lot of 
um, genres that I don't read. So, you know, it's not like a sure thing. Um, I am, I'm always intrigued when the author reads the book. I, I like that because I know that I'm hearing the interpretation that the author intended. And so, um, that can be fun as well. Um, sometimes I, I do memoirs and those can be really fun to listen to on audio because you get to hear the actual voice of the person who's talking about themselves. There are some narrations, some narrators that like, I don't love that I might avoid. Um, not many, but there definitely are a few. So, you know, so it, 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 it all factors in. So it's, there's not one particular thing, but I would say availability of audio, of audio and print. And then who's actually doing the narration. Those for me are the main ones. How about you? What do you look for in an audio book? Well, I'm probably different. I think that you tend to read audiobooks that are in your wheelhouse. Like you tend to listen to read audiobooks, listen to audiobooks that are in the literary fiction. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get better about that. I really don't like, I've just always been, been someone who wants to read and feel like I'm getting the experience that I'm getting from it. So I don't like a lot of interpretation. So I'll listen to, sometimes I'll listen to mysteries and sometimes I'll listen to, I listen to a lot more nonfiction just because there is, there's less of you interpret, less of a character, I guess, being interpreted for me because the way you choose to, you know, to, yeah, the emphasis that you put on certain words, your pronunciation or whatever, that's kind of informing the picture that you're giving to someone. So I, I don't know. I'm getting a little bit better about that. I'm sort of venturing more into um, listening to some things that are literary fiction, but for the most part, I do listen to things that are kind of um, less open to interpretation, like, you know, some mystery where you know what, you know, pretty much what's going to happen and it's not going to tamper with my reading of it. And I'm kind of, that kind of brings me to my next question for Karen, because you, you, like Gail mentioned, you narrate so many different genres. So do you have different approaches for each one? Like if you're doing something more straightforward history or that's historical fiction or literary fiction, or you do also do a lot of yeah, romance. The, definitely it's a different approach, but I think really it, every book kind of takes a different approach. And it's it's really interesting what you were just saying about it's almost like you're you're protective of literary fiction. You you don't want someone to a, a narrator to sort of interfere with your personal experience of the book. And I do think that most literary fiction of all the fiction um, possibilities does call for the sort of most uh, delicate and nuanced touch with character voices and um, just the overall tone, I think, needs to be not too excitable or overdone in any way. On the other end of the spectrum, um, one one genre I do a lot of lately, I think it's just become very popular in audio, is cozy mysteries, which are full of wacky characters and, you know, just quirky situations and and they're 
they're they're very predictable like a romance is in its in its um you know you know pretty much there's gonna be a murder and it's gonna get solved by the end of the book and it's gonna be the heroine who solves it so there's not a lot of wondering about all those things it's more about how you get there right and i think people read them because they want to go on this fun ride so And I would be much more open yeah, to, because it's, to something like that. It's all, in some ways, it's kind of all about the performance if you're going to right. do it in audio. And I think right. I don't do very much fantasy, but the little I've done, it feels like that is the same. You know, when you're voicing dragons and, I don't know, monsters of all sorts, then it's going to be a lot more of a performance, you know. And I think romance can kind of go all over the place, depending on the tone of the book. Um, but what I do know is that those listeners really want the men to have low voices if you possibly can do it. Um, and differentiation of characters is really important for them. And the really tough part of it is a lot of them are in series and you, <laughs> you have to keep all these people straight for over books and books. And then you'll have a scene where eight different guys are in a room together and the each was a hero in a different book, you know, and it, it, it can be demanding <laughs> to um, create all those different male voices, but it's, you know, it's fun. And versus what I like about doing nonfiction is that I learn stuff that I would never learn. I mean, you know, I read books that I would probably never choose to read, but once I'm reading them, it's actually pretty interesting. And I think the trick about that is to bring the passion to it that the person who's writing it had in the writing of it, but again, without overdoing it, just bringing a, a consistent level of um, of commitment to it, as well as, like you were saying, hopefully the reading of the text makes it as clear as possible so that the listener can understand it, especially when it's complex information. Does your mind ever wander while you're narrating or is that not um, possible? It is possible and it's definitely not ideal. It's sort of like when you're driving and you realize you have no idea what you just did, but you're not dead and you're still driving along the road Right. I, I figured this out when I was directing people that I could see, I, I'm reading when I'm directing, I'm reading the text and I'm listening to them. And they were saying all the words in the right order. And it even made sense. It wasn't like nonsense, but I could tell they weren't there anymore. Half of their mind was thinking about what right. they were going to have for dinner or, you know, it is possible to sort of have a, split like that. Um, so it is important to me anyway, and I would always stop people when I was directing to stop and come back to the present and, and be there. Because I think, I mean, I think the listener would be taken out as well. They might not know it was happening, but I think you might lose, you would lose their attention. That's interesting. 
Yeah. I mean, I definitely know there are some times in audio. That's too sometimes why I like mysteries. Um, something that I know that if I have those moments and I come back to myself, I'm not lost in some, some narrative, you know, I mean, if you get lost in a cozy mystery for five, for five, five or 10 minutes, it's going to come up again. You really haven't, you haven't missed too much. So anyway, I guess to get to a little bit more personal, Karen, what do you like to read? I, you know, kind of like with my reading for work, I'm, it's pretty eclectic. I, what I, mostly it's what I don't like to read. I, my, I am in two book clubs and for a while, for instance, my book club was really stuck in the gone girl routine. One, oh. um, murderer after another. And I just, I really don't like grisly murders because they just stick in my imagination and give me nightmares. Luckily I haven't had to narrate too many of those. You know, certain times of the year, certain times of life, I really love my um, uh, Elin Hildebrand type, you know, women's fiction and Kristen Higgins, who's really romance, but maybe veers over into women's fiction. But I also really love memoirs and and really complex literary fiction Um I don't read, like my husband loves, and my husband and my dad both love to read histories, like those ginormous, thick history books, like the Alexander Hamilton book. I I do not enjoy reading right. those. Or Game of Thrones. My husband read all of those. Yeah, I haven't been able to get past any of them. I did get into the series, but not in terms of the books. And then the books, like the whole Tolkien thing, I just can't. You know, I can't go that far into world building, I think, in my imagination. I don't like creatures and dark spaces. Yeah, but I love historic fiction. And I, you know, a good Russian novel, Irish, British, (laughs) during the world wars, things like that. Since June is audiobook month, we are... We are hoping to leave you guys with some recommendations, some things that you can listen to and hopefully enjoy. Gail, did you have, can you start us off with in this conversation? I actually just did a post on my blog in conjunction with the Audiobook Publishers Association. Is that who that was with, Karen? Yes, their blog hop. Yes, the blog hop for June. Um, And I listed five there, so we can can link to that um, post. But... There's so many good ones. God, I feel like I've just had. Yeah, so, so give us. Yeah, some so ones. how did you like this? Did you finish the last one? Did you finish the stars are fire? I did finish the stars. Are, the stars are fire, and as yeah, I mean, I don't think it was my favorite narration ever, as far as audiobooks go. It, the the narration was a bit uh, almost robotic for me. It sounded like. Um, almost too monotone, but it did in some ways it actually was good because it ratcheted down the tension. Cause there was a lot of tension in that book. If I'm going to throw in some, I, I, these aren't brand new, but they're not, you know, super old either. These are ones I've listened to in maybe like the last six months, but I would urge people to listen to the audio version of Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. That's not a new book. I'd say it's probably a few years old. 
but uh, I did it on audio maybe last fall, and it was amazing. I don't know if, um, Karen, do you know who Oliver Weimer is? Oh, Wyman. Yes. Oh, oh, did I get his name wrong? That's embarrassing. He was amazing because that book was just filled with accents. takes place in Dallas, and it's this um, army company, so there's lots of young army privates, I guess. I don't know what level, what they're their rank is, but they're sort of from all over the country. So he had to know, he had to get all these voices of all these individual soldiers. And then there's all these people who come to the football game where these soldiers are sort of being displayed. And it it just, there was like, the book is very biting. And I thought he did a fantastic job with that. So Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, highly recommend I also did The Risen on audio, which is a book that both Nicole and I loved by Ron Rash. I didn't realize yes. that. Oh, my God. He was amazing. That's um, Richard Ferrone. Uh, Karen, do you know who that is? Yes. Oh, my God. He was incredible. He just – I can't imagine that book. This is, I think, the mark of a good audiobook because you just can't imagine anyone else narrating it. You just – they become one with the book. Um, he and the character, he embodied this character. It was just, it was just perfect. And I'm going to give a plug for Karen here. I thought that, um, our short history by Lauren Grazzi, I thought you did a fantastic job with that. That is a, that's a tough book in that it's dealing with a depressing and difficult subject matter. It's a mother who's dying. Um, but you gave it a real humanity and there was humor in it and it wasn't just relentlessly sad and awful. It felt very realistic and um, I can't imagine that you and I talked about this when I saw you at BEA. I can't imagine that was an easy book to read or narrate. And I just thought you did a great job with it. So those are going to be my three. Um, oh, I have to throw one more in. Is that okay? Because I'm just sure so enthusiastic about this book. I read um, my favorite book of the whole year so far is a book called Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Strat- Straddle. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. I will talk about this book to anyone who will listen. And, um, I did most of that book on audio and it was just perfect. It's just, I love that book so much. I actually would like to reread that book and I'd like to re-listen to it. Um, had two narrators, Amy Ryan, who's an actress and Michael Struhlbarg. I don't know him at all, but, um, they did a fantastic job with that alternating characters. I think they did, you know, female and male chapters. They didn't do in, it wasn't like within chapters they alternated, but I think they each did different chapters. But, um, so those are my four that I will recommend. How about you, Nicole? Okay. So I actually have recent ones. As you know, I am a seasonal audiobook listener. Like I listen to the majority of my audiobooks in the spring and the summer, or maybe late spring, summer and fall, just because it's nice walking weather and it's pretty much, and I don't have a car. So right. <laughs> that's when I get all of my listening in. So over the spring, I listened to Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran, and it's read by Will Patton, Anne-Marie Lee, and Danny Campbell. And I thought they did a really good job because this is sort of a sad, grim story about these Osage um, Indian millionaires who were being killed off in order to get, for people to get access to their oil rights and head rights. And so it's, it's a depressing story, but I felt like the narration did a good job of conveying the story without it being too grim. You know, I think they struck the balance in terms of just not making it 
overly depressing or, or delivering it in a manner that you got the heaviness and the weight of the story without it just being too much. Right now I'm listening to the Jane Austen project and it's read, it's narrated by Kathleen Flynn. No, it's written by Kathleen Flynn. It's read by Saskia Marlveld and I'm really enjoying it. I mean, she is doing an excellent job in terms of the delivery, you know, Jane Austen. It's, it's sort of a time travel. So it's out of my wheelhouse, but it's about these, this group of people who go back to live in Jane Austen's time and they've forged money because they want to find a hidden manuscript of hers. The author is approaching it in such an intelligent way that it's a really fun read and it's just sort of narrated to perfection. I feel like she gets, she has enough depth for the male voices and she gets the English accents and there's an American who's playing a British person. So she, she really encompasses all of that and makes it an absorbing, um, an absorbing read. And the last one that I would recommend, I don't know. It's interesting. Sometimes when you listen to things on audio, you realize that you're enjoying the story sort of like, I guess what Karen's saying, when you research something and you bring it to life. So sometimes I can listen to things on audio that I know that I probably would not enjoy as much if I were to be reading the print version of it. And I would say that about Julian Fellows' Belgravia, which is read by Juliet Stevenson. I mean, there's like no surprises in this book. It is, you know, it is, um, I guess, young young girl gets involved with a, a wealthy man and becomes pregnant. And you know that it's not going to lead anywhere good. So it's not like there's many surprises in this. But just her... Her narration makes it an interesting story to listen to, gives it more substance than I think I would have, it would have if I were reading it on the page. Karen, how about you? Do you listen to audiobooks? I don't listen a lot because I don't have a commute. And when I walk, <laughs> when I walk my dogs, I, I have to be present with them because they're crazy. But I do have a recommendation I actually recently directed an author doing his memoir, who's the head of the creative writing department here at University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And it's a really interesting book. It's called Ultimate Glory, and his name is David Gessner. And he's a novelist, and that's what he teaches. But um, when he was at Harvard, and for many years, several years afterwards, he played Ultimate Frisbee. So this is about his experience doing that and trying to be a young writer. And it's very raw and funny. And it also gives some of the history of the sport. So if anyone has any interest in that at all, that's it. It's a fun listen. I think the, the other thing that I've listened to recently, just because it's a good way to get to know other narrators, is Audible has done this series of noirs that are based in different in different cities um like there's Portland noir and Boston noir and Philadelphia noir and they're they're very interesting collections because it's some great writing n- noir in that genre of course and each one is based in the different cities and like I did Boston and Philadelphia and I did, I think two stories in each collection. So you get a real, 
huge group of narrators doing a bunch of different authors' works. So it's it's nice for a commute or for shorter drives where you don't, you know, have time to listen to an entire book. But you can also, like, honestly, if, if you don't like the narration or the writing as much, you just skip to the next story. <laughs> so it's good for shorter um, attention spans, I guess. Now, Karen, I just want to really quickly, before we wrap it up, um, ask you about two books that you narrated. And if you don't have much to add about them, that's fine. I'm just curious because I know, Gail, I think earlier in the year, you mentioned wanting to read Ellen Umansky's The Fortunate Ones. And I noticed that, Karen, you narrated that. Yeah, that was a really interesting book. And I was going to say, can you tell us a little bit about the story? Um so it's really about two different women. One, um, we, we, it, the book starts when she's nine years old and living in Vienna um, at the very beginning, before World War II really starts, but and at the very beginning. And she's Jewish and her family, but her family is very sort of upper class in Vienna and are not, you know... Um, they don't really think of themselves as Jewish, you know, they're not practicing, but they are. And so, and it goes back and forth between her story and what happens when she and her brother are put on the kinder transport um, and sent to England, where she then grows up and never sees her parents again, and then moves to Los Angeles after the war, um, um, when she meets a, an Englishman who is an engineer and decides to move there for his career. And then, and there's a piece of art that is in her family that, um, with everything else they own, disappears. And then the other story is a young woman who, um, grew up in Los Angeles. And when the, when her story starts, she's a lawyer working in New York and their stories um, intertwine because the young woman, her father buys the painting that had belonged to the Vienna's Viennese woman's family. And then there's sort of, it, it disappears is stolen. And then, you know, they, again, after he dies, they get to know each other and, their stories sort of unfurl from there. So it's a really complicated plot, obviously. Um, and it was a beautiful story, and I loved doing it. The really difficult part from the, a narration standpoint is that this woman's, one, she ages from age nine to, I think, her 70s, and her accent evolves over time because she's speaking German at the beginning of the book. And then she's speaking English, which she didn't know until she moved to England with a German accent. And then as she grows up, she tries to get rid of her accent and, excuse me, <coughs> ends up with a British accent. By the time she moves to L.A., she has this sort of amalgam accent. So her her voice really evolves over the book. 
and you go back and forth in time. So it, um, I did get a review where they said that the character voices were inconsistent, but then I felt like the person didn't really understand the book because yes, it was inconsistent because it changed. Um, other than that though, um, I, I highly recommend the book. I think it's an interesting view, a new viewpoint on all of those issues. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think, you know, some of those things that you mentioned do are so, so much clearer in an audio, because sometimes I think that when we're reading, I don't know how much we're thinking about how much the voice can change. Um, since we're not as adept. And the other one I wanted to briefly mention, I know it, it came in the vein of Gone Girl and all those other books that were sort of like that, but I thought this one had more depth because I read it. I didn't listen to it in audio. But the, the Silent Wife, let me see, did I have that right? Yeah. I feel like that came out before Gone Girl, but then they marketed it as Gone Girl. Maybe it was around the same time. Um, it was so sad that that woman she died tragically. Um, it was her first novel and she passed away from cancer. But I think one of the things that I, I recorded that with another person remotely, I've never met him, but we did, you know, communicate and talk about what we were going to do and then share, um, audio clips of, of our characters. Um, but what was really interesting about recording a book like that only from my character's point of view is that it it made it much more much easier than it would have I think if I had to go back and forth to really buy in to her to way of seeing character. things you know because I think well, I don't want to give away the plot in case anybody reads it, but you know how in that in that kind of a story, she completely believes that what she's doing is the right thing. And I think he does too. And so, um, and when you play a character, like on stage, who does evil things, you have to find a way to to play them as if they think what they're doing is the right thing or the best thing in a bad situation. And so it was, I think for me, a lot better to only do it from that point of view. And the writing is, I think is really good in that. Not that it isn't in Gone Girl. It's, it's just the, so many books that came after. I don't think anyone disputes that Gone Girl was a good, well-written book. It just that it, it's, gotten overexposed or must you just tag everything um the next gone girl yeah if there's a toxic husband and wife relationship it does not necessarily mean it's the next gone girl right <laughs> right so All thank right, you well, so much karen for joining us um this evening and giving us a little bit of insight into audiobook narration and what goes into crafting these characters and these books. Well, thank you for inviting me. It, it's, um, I like hanging out with you guys, even if we're not in person. 
Well, I, I know I had a million questions as I started getting into audiobooks, and you've been very patient with me over the years, indulging my many questions through many formats, whether I've interviewed you for the blog or this podcast or just talking to you in person. So thank you for doing it again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Readerly Podcast. And until next time, happy reading. Happy listening. Happy listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com. And you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. And Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep reading.